Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. The Pope and Young Club wants to welcome you as we rally together to ensure our bow hunting opportunities for today and tomorrow. You've come to the podcast that believes in preserving, protecting, and promoting the passion for bow hunting. Join us as we strive to be the voice of today's bow hunter. This is the Pope and Young Podcast. All right, guys, welcome to another episode of Pope and Young's Podcast. I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Tim Razuski. And we have a special guest, longtime supporter of Pope and Young, one of our proud corporate partners, Skip Peterson from Gearhead Archery. Skip, how are you, man? I'm doing good. Doing good. How's uh how's the weather in your part of the country? It's cold. We got the single digits last night. And uh and yeah, we had a little bit of snow over the weekend. And yeah, winter is, is starting to show its face. Uh gun season finished up on Saturday, and now we're muzzle loader for a little bit, and then it's back to bow hunting. So we, we kind of got a, a bunch of seasons here in Wisconsin where it goes bow hunting. And then we got some youth seasons and then a holiday hunt and all kinds of excuses to, you know, change different uh, uh, different groups to be hunting our state here. Yeah. You know, I, Skip, uh, it, it's kind of funny. Sorry, you didn't know, Dylan, I guess, that Skip was also an official measure. I did Pope not Indiana. know that. Yeah. And uh, it's funny how. I like to take as much time off as I can in September and October for hunting out, out west out here. And you guys all laugh. I try to get a hold of you even in November, December. It's like crickets. You guys are gone. Yeah, yeah. yeah especially around Thanksgiving. It's, it becomes a family get-together, and, and people come from all over that that have left Wisconsin. They have family reunions just around the hunt. You know, so it's kind of a kind of a big tradition here with the, with the gun hunting. Well, if you ever need to uh, adopt somebody, I can get on that family hunt if you'd like. Um, I, I could do that if you need me to. I, I think there's a waiting list. Oh, all right. <laughs> I'll change my be. name to Skip Jr. 
Skip yeah. Jr. I like it. <laughs> there you go. Dylan Skip. Skip. Give us uh, an introduction to Gearhead, man. I know some some changes happened over there um, with, with so, you guys and the structure of Gearhead. So so walk me through all that, man. Well, we started in Gearhead um, back in 2008 in Buffalo, Wyoming. Uh, me and another um, business partner, Paul Trapolsky, he now lives in, in Hawaii. Uh, we started Gearhead just on the whim of, you know, like they say a lot of businesses start on a napkin. This really did start at a napkin on a in a rib joint where we just talked about what we'd like to see in a bow. Um, we were, we were backpack style hunting. We'd go in four or five miles in the big horns and, and we just got, we got tired of carrying the big clunky, clunky bows. And we just thought, you know, it's Paul came from an engineering background and I'm a, a machinist. So we, we kind of, you know, that's kind of our, our backgrounds. And we just, you know, just basically like, what would you like to see in a bow? And we just started jotting things down and we just, we started, he would design them and I would machine them. And over the course of a year, we had like 14 different prototypes that we took to all the other companies. We took it to Matthews and Darton and Barnett and pretty much everyone just trying to, to pitch our, our different ideas. And in the end, Paul ended up selling the, that group of patents um, to one of the companies. And then we started the what you see with the gearhead bows now. We 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 kick that up again. And instead of, we all just like the way it shot so much that instead of selling the patents on that one, we decided to, to just go for it. So we, we started that journey in 2015. So we, we literally started gearhead in 2008, but then we started gearhead selling to the public and stuff like that in 2015. So we're, we're in year nine right now. And, you know, we've gone through a lot of different phases. I mean, looking back um, over the years, the, uh, the first bows we made, we didn't have crossover cables. They were actually gear driven. So we had a chain of gears that went down to the column. And then that set the timing of, of the cams and stuff like that. But we just found really quick that it was added a lot of weight. It didn't create much efficiencies. And, and it just it wasn't giving us what we were looking for. But we did like the name. So we we, we kept it gearhead archery because it kind of goes around with, you know, people working on cars or just, I mean, it's the whole mentality. You're a gearhead, you know, so you're always kind of thinking of things different you can do that's different than anyone else. And you're just, you know, thinking a little bit outside the box. Um, so like in 2015, we kicked off with like, again, we did things kind of backwards where a lot of companies, they start with a big bow and they go smaller. We, we started with the smallest bow that you could make. It was a 18 inch axle to axle. And uh, we couldn't go any smaller because our peep would end up in our string track. So that that's how we ended up at 18 18 inches and then with the different draw lengths we made these long releases which was just a stupid idea um it worked but most people they have a certain release they like and, and stuff like that so we we moved rapidly into um different cams to give you more string so we could actually hit different draw lengths um based on the the, the size of the cam and then from there we we just kind of grew the the product line into 20 inch and 24 and 30 and then and then Paul went to the Vegas shoot and he came back telling us we needed to make a 36 and a 40 inch bow. So we we kind of covered, you know, pretty much what any person would like to shoot from an axle to axle standpoint. Um, we, we pretty much covered the market on that. Now, you guys just announced some um, promotion with Pope and Young. Um, walk us through all that. If they, so, if they shoot a, a Pope and Young animal with your bow and stuff like that. Yeah, so um, 
just to get, you know, more field photos and, and to actually, you know, hunting with a smaller ATA, it, it gives you some really advanced, real advantages from hunting. You know, you're, you're just, you know, more maneuverable, you know, the tree saddle uh, craze has kind of really reached out and grabbed a hold of our bows just for, you know, the shooting through under and, and over limbs and stuff like that. It, it's just, and then ground blinds and stalking. It's just the, the, the smaller ATAs have, have really become pretty much the market for us. Um, we don't really have competition in, in the smaller size of things and in the way they shoot, it, it just, it just, people usually will reach for a gearhead on that. Uh, the 24 inches, uh, the most popular, but, um, with Pope and Young, um, like Tim was saying, I'm, I'm an official measure, but I've, you know, I've, I've been about Pope and Young for a lot of years. When I was in high school, we, we called our archery team, the Pope and Young club. And an interesting fact about that is, um, we wanted to get, um, our shirts to say Pope and Young, but, uh, we wanted patches, but you couldn't get a patch unless you actually shot a Pope and Young animal. Um, so Keith Peets, a buddy of mine, he had shot 133 inch deer to qualify for Pope and Young. I had him buy us the patches through Pope and Young so we could, we could sew them on our, our jerseys for the, for the archery club. And that was when we were like, uh, juniors in high school type of a thing. So, um, so yeah, always been a, a part of that. And then um, also too, when you, we had the um, uh, uh, the Pope and Young convention in Madison, I, I got more involved with Pope and Young at that point. And, um, and I got my official measure and stuff like that. And then just, you know, I tried to go to conventions and things like that. But, but as a, a bow manufacturer um, and trying to support and grow you know, both us and Pope and Young. If um, someone were to shoot a Pope and Young animal with a gearhead bow and submit a field photo, we will we will cover the cost of that entry into Pope and Young. Well, so awesome. it kind of, it kind of helps um, both of us at that point. You know, and hopefully yeah. people are taking better pictures, and and then we have some some pictures that we can uh, put in our catalogs and stuff like that. Although we've the the editing uh, to to fill the catalog and it's gotten a lot difficult, more difficult with the number of photos that are coming in. So but it, it also encourages people, it also encourages people to actually enter their trophies into Pope and Young too, and not just harvest them and send me a picture, but actually to, you know, put it, put it into the record book. Yeah, absolutely. So as a short axle to axle bow manufacturer, how excited were you when Pope and Young removed the axle to axle restrictions? <laughs> I've been waiting a long time for that. Um, there's also two states um, that call out an um, an axle to axle measurement for what they consider a bow. One is South Dakota, the one is in Montana. Um, they have to be 28 inches outside cam to outside cam to be considered a legal weapon in those two states. So there's we do have a couple models that wouldn't be legal in those two states, but I am you know working with. Uh, with those people to try to get that changed too. The, the people in Montana always said that they based their their rules off of Pope and Young, but now that Pope and Young had has done away with their axle to axle requirements, um, hopefully we can go back and uh, and get the Montana ruling changed because um, basically our our twenty four inch on up is the only ones that are legal in in that state, not the twenty or the or the eighteen. So um, so so yeah, that was, that was exciting. Well, it was exciting because well the. You know, yeah, there's small axle axle, but I think that rule was put with older technology and with the 
the the two track cam systems and that you still carry a lot of kinetic energy and stuff like that. And I actually would like to see some of the states change their their laws where it actually, you know, they use kinetic energy as more of a, a legal thing than than the size of the boat. So as a manufacturer, um, you may be an exception. You may be right in the middle of the field or 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 whatnot. How often, and you sort of referred to it with an agency, do you consider fair chase as defined by the Godfather Club Boone and Crockett and Open Young when building and designing products? Obviously, you have two products that don't fit into regulations in a specific state, right? But st- but now fit into the the definitions or modified definitions of Pope and Young. How important is that to your company and maybe to you as you hear through the industry? How important is Fair Chase and what and who defines or has defined Fair Chase? How much do they look at that and consider that or do they just don't care? Well, I mean, well, before it was a group of us. Now my my wife and I bought the company. So I, you know, I got you know, final say and and things like that. But I mean, we're when we went to the smaller. I mean, we started with an eighteen inch bow, which I knew wasn't legal for Pope and Young, you know. But it was the type of it was legal for those particular states, and it was I felt it gave us a lot of advantages while hunting. So it was like we just tried to build the bow that what we wanted to see in a bow, and we didn't really take the Pope and Young stuff into consideration at, at all, you know, and it almost goes back to the fact too, where back in the day, um, you know, if you had a bow that was over 65% let off, it didn't fall within the, the Pope and Young category. It, you know, you, you know, a lot of the companies just came out with 80, 85%. And then as a measure, you know, those are questions you had to ask is, you know, what, what percent let off was your bow and, and whether or not it qualified for Pope and Young was based on the percent let off. And, and thank goodness they changed that rule because as a official measure, that was kind of always a nightmare of, of figuring out, you know, what bow model, what percent let off and stuff like that to, to even realize if the bow, if the, the animal would even qualify for Pope and Young based on the equipment that they used. So it just, you know, it, it helped us as measures just taking that off the table. Um, but I, as a manufacturer, getting back to your point, I mean, we just try to, you know, produce the best equipment that gives you an advantage you know, hunting. And yeah, I guess we really didn't take that into consideration. You know, same with the States. We just, we just did what we wanted and we figured we could maybe change them later. Sure. So with what you just said there, um, take advantage, what's a good advantage for hunting? Um, what really drives fair chase, at least with Pope and Young for sure, is the term of unfair advantage. You know, radio mm-hmm. to radio communication, bringing a person into a game animal, cellular sure. troll camera, sending you a photo and you instantly responding to that and going and hunting that animal. Um, you know, the whole aerial and waiting, shooting from a boat, all, all the different things that are considered unfair advantage, electronics on both sites. Um, I think my opinion, um, I felt the industry pushed Pope and Young past the 65%. But at some point in time, many bow manufacturers weren't able to achieve more than 
And so that technology was rearing its head against the, the concept of unfair advantage. Um, there are companies out there that make products that all their products will do not fall in the guidelines of either Buddha Crockett's or Pope and Young's um, fair chase rules, but are legal in some or many states. Um, again, it kind of comes back to, I'm not asking them to look at Pope and Young's fair chase statement. Obviously, they do look at what is legal, and maybe they take into account. Maybe this is just me. Okay, I'm now a new bow site manufacturer, and all my sites are going to be digital, and I don't care about the 17 states or whatever it is that don't allow it. I'm going to market solely to the 43 or the 33 that do, and I'm just going to go from there. Um, and it's not their fault, but that turns into, like you just said, an issue at the Pope and Young level. But as a measure, you're put in a situation where I've got to ask you about things that you're you're attesting to on the fair chase, but some of the guys don't really understand or don't read it. I ask right. people to read it. So with with the industry going with technology, moving and progressing, and knowing that the perception of unfair advantage is still here and it may not move. Um, is, is the meter still state regulation and not Buddha Crockett, Pope and Young's fair chase? Well, going back to the, the 65, I think you're exactly right. As the years went by, it seemed like all the manufacturers were making bows that were 85% let off. So it, it almost like they forced it down Pope and Young's throat that, you know, there's none of the animals being shot was going to qualify for, for Pope and Young based on the 65% let off rule. I mean, they, they were all building 85% let offs. Um, so they did kind of jam it down, you know, Pope and Young's throat on that. Um, I guess I always look at the state regulations, but in, in saying that, if you look at Montana, when I talked to Montana about changing the regulations down to uh, to accept the 18 and the 20 inch bow, they set that rule based off of Pope and Young. So obviously the state regulations are also looking at Pope and Young's requirements and stuff like that. So it almost sounds like there's, there, it looks like there's a little bit of um, Pope and Young and the state agencies looking at what they consider fair chase. I, I always felt that the size of the bow um, was more or less trying to keep people from using a, a youth bow to harvest big game animals. That's that, you know, because that's kind of how I was looking at it. Because if I looked at the size of our bow, the technology really isn't any different than a larger bow. It's just we we brought everything down to a smaller ATA. If 30 years ago, Darton or Pearson or anybody would have came out with an 18-inch bow, that at that time and still today in Montana was not legal. Do you think it was because they really cared about limb to limb length, or was it about the power that limbs at those times could create? Do so a youth bow, the youth bows that I've had my daughter and and nephews use, their poundage wasn't really over 20, 22 pounds. And then you get into the the bows that uh, the kids start using maybe at 
12 to 17 years old, and they are barely tuned to be mm-hmm. at that 40, which is required, say, here in Oregon. Mm-hmm. Um, is that it? Was it was the bow leg being um, being uh, associated with? I, I don't like poundage and speed to be the only thing, but lethality is that a word? <laughs> Dylan, look that up. <laughs> the lethalness, <laughs> the lethalness of the bow itself. And with your 18, 18 inch bow now, what poundage can you shoot and and penetration and all those things about kinetic energy and everything? What can that 18 inch bow do? Uh, 75 pounds, 29 inch draw, um, and get around three, 330 for feet per second kinetic energy in the 70s or 80s. Wow. Wow. So, I mean, that's, I, I like, again, we, the reason we went small is that was, what we wanted to hunt with. I mean, we wanted to backpack in, we wanted to be minimalistic and and that was kind of what we wanted to do, you know? And then we thought, well, there's, you know, there is a market for this, but then, you know, we eventually gravitated to the, to the longer ATAs, but still our best seller is a 24 inch. It's, it's, it's easy for someone to go from a 30 inch down to a 24, but, getting them to go to like a 20 or an 18, you know, it's some, for some people it's, it's a pretty big step because your, your string angle becomes really steep and your peeps farther away from your eyes and you can't put your nose on the string and all those things that you're taught, you know, to line up and to do, it's a little bit more difficult with the smaller ATAs. So that's, that's kind of, but we didn't really think of a lot of, you know, that's basically what we wanted to hunt with, you know, we knew it was legal where we were hunting. So that's, you know, where we went with it. Were there any bow companies out there when you were younger that you looked at that maybe had some prototypes that didn't make the market or what, what inspired these designs that I've looked at that I don't like the word radical, but they're very different. And um, like, if you were to take your bow back in time to 1975, 1980, what would the response, what would the market's reaction be? Well, it's, it's been difficult. Well, I mean, so the reason we got to the the shape and the look of what we have, it's more or less because I was machining in, in Buffalo, Wyoming, and I didn't have the capabilities of of a CNC machine. I had I had manual equipment, and I couldn't make these very you know ornate risers, but I could take plate material and I could put precision holes and and connection points where I could make a shoot through riser design, you know, just by putting in locations and then you know we also took into consideration where we could you could flip it around and make it right or left-handed within 15 minutes so it's it actually came about just from the ability or the non-ability to to make a traditional riser with with what what i had the ability to do in the setting that i was in and then once once we created that it's like well this is this is what we're all about. You know, this is, this is our look, you know, and it's much easier for, for a small company to do that. than let's say, let's say a a Matthews where, you know, they may want to get to a specific look or specific thing, but they'll make little tweaks year after year. And over the course of maybe five or six years, they'll get you to that where we can actually just come out with it and just say this, this is what we think it, this is what we think the bow should look like. You know, so it, it 
we're, we're a little bit, uh, we can pivot a little bit quicker being a, a smaller company than some of your larger companies. As a small, and sorry, Dylan, I'm taking over. <laughs> I was just fascinated. So it's a small, it. what I'll say, not custom bows, but a smaller company that can go quicker to a new design, like you just explained. Right. Yeah. How many, how many bows models have you put out compared to the number that you've put in the round file? How many, how many prototypes do you go through before one goes to market? Hmm. Oh, probably, probably three, four. Oh, I, okay. I, you know, I mean, it's not, it's not crazy numbers. I mean, we don't spend up hours and hours working on this or working the, the new pivot bow we brought to the ATA last year. So basically it's a 30 inch where when your limbs load up, it's got a bearing system in it where the, the support will rotate. It takes the hump out of the cam and that we, we tested that. Well, I did a concept and then tested it for probably a year and a half with different people shooting it and taking it in the field and stuff like that before we decided that it needed to go to market. Um, I shot that bow. It's a legit bow. Yeah. So then this year we'll, we'll go to the AT with the, with the little brother that in a, in a 24 inch. So because we've had success with that in a 30 inch platform, we know that the, the system uh, works really well. So we, we put it down into the 24 inch and we got a few of those out there that's being hunted this fall and, and they've been doing extremely well. I, I have to say that 24 inch pivot that we'll bring to the ATA show is probably my favorite bull I've ever shot. I mean, it just, it just feels, it just feels phenomenal on, on every aspect. I know we're all be at the ATA show. You'll be doing what you did at the last ATA show. You took off, left me at the booth and came back at nine o'clock at night, all excited like a kid at an amusement park. And I didn't I get to see none of that. I was shooting bows all day, man. What did you, what'd you expect? Well, that's what you're there for, right? If you can't find me, check the shooting lanes. That's just, <laughs> that's where I'll be. No, I shot that bow. It was a phenomenal bow. And then you, uh, not surprised me, but then you um, dropped the knowledge on me that all of your bows, every bit of them, are made right here in the United States of America, which is incredible. Yeah. I mean, we put our heart and soul into that. I get I get emails weekly from offshore, China, Taiwan, you know, saying they can make parts for us. And I, I just like, I... Or made in America. I mean, the only thing on our boat probably is source we buy it in America, but it's it's coming out of somewhere else. Is our is our cam bearings? I mean, they're I, I don't think they're made in the United States. We buy them in the U.S., but I think our suppliers get them from from China or Taiwan somewhere. So walk me through the production. I mean, do you guys have a machine shop? Are you doing all that? Um, you know, walk well, me through my, kind of that. When my wife and I bought. Bought the business. We we lost the machine shop. We left that back with the uh, at our um our investors place. So um, right now we just got the new space up. But I'm I'm have another area machine shops to do machining for me. And then I I run anodizing and I run it to anodizing and other things. And then we we assemble them here. Um, I'm moving into a new facility again this next April, and uh, we're leaving some space where we can bring some equipment in, uh, CNC mill, maybe a lathe, something like that. And then it also too it diversifies us where, um, if if the bull market gets a little slack, I can I can do machining stuff for other other companies and other um, 
other industries as well. So it, it kind of it really helps us diversify into to being profitable across a, a lot of different platforms. You know, that's something that a lot of people don't get. They talk about how you know their bow is so much better than everybody else's bow, and and they like this bow, and uh, those bows are are not great. And you know, there's a lot of companies that make parts for other companies' bows. Yeah. Yeah. And and a lot of people don't get that. And I'm like, well, the company that you're saying you hate is making the cams for the bow you're saying you love. Right. Like they just, that, I, that doesn't I, register I with them. I don't believe any company out there makes a crappy bow. I mean, you look at across the board. I mean, we're all, you know, it's machine parts. They're, you know, machining costs a lot of money. It's, you know, it's, we all make really good products. But, and, and to your, your comment there, Dylan, I mean, I, I had a call last, last year from a company that, they lost their their cam contract, and they just asked us if we, if they could machine some cams for us because of the, the place they were making the cam, the other company they were making the cams for it ended up going over to, uh, overseas. And it's just like we got all the all the fixturing, we got all the tooling, but then we we've lost our our cam contract. So they, you know they were just reaching out to us and saying, "Hey, do you have anything?" You know, so there's there's that out there too, where there's you know shops just you know wanting to do the work and and this industry seems all of well the industry's changed a lot since i was a kid i mean i always looked at the archery industry it, it's it was had that feel that you could grow a business from your garage and be a mom and pop shop and actually you know support your family and, and just grow it you know ground up but but now it's gotten to the point where you basically have a you know a big investment company looking at their looking at their spreadsheets saying what what can we buy next to complete our to complete <laughs> complete our system you know oh, i need an i need a i need an arrow company who can we buy you know type of a thing and it's just like it's kind of losing the romance that it used to have when i was a kid but you know we're going to try to keep that here with gearhead and just be you know that american company that's mom and pop and and service the customer better than anyone else can because you, you have a you have to have a good product but you also have to have amazing customer service and i, I really hang my hat on that at the end of the day when the phone rings we answer it and yeah. you know ask what you need to do that's awesome man so what's what's next like what what big idea does hmm. you had to have next well for this ata like i said we got that that pivot 24. Um, and then I'd like to bring that same system into a target model and also maybe go down to a 20. Uh, I'm probably going to push our carbon line up a little bit more than what we have in the past. Um, we do, I, I believe we make the best carbon bow out there. We, it's not a, we actually machine it out of uh, plate material and, um, you know, like our, our 20 inch, bow is 2.8 pounds and our 24 is 3.1 and our 30 inch is 3.3. So I, I mean, super light. I'll, I'll have that in the booth at the ATA too, Dylan and Tim, if you want to stop over and shoot some really cool carbon bows. I mean, they really Tim shoot. Will be, Tim, Tim will be busy working a booth. I'll come All right. by. All I'll right. come by, but I've, Tim will be busy. I've been told yeah. that I'm not going yet. And my daughter lives in St. Louis, so I might be there on my own. Jim, after go. hours, you can come. You can come to the Gearhead booth after hours. Perfect. You know, hey, before that, after. That would be good for you, Tim, because then they're like, "Hey, Tim, we need you to do this." You're like, "Bro, I'm not here to work. I'm just here on vacation." Yeah. You know, I I got around ATA a little bit, and we the year I went, it was the year of COVID, and five thousand of us all got COVID after we were there, and the show was like one half the size. Everybody's walking around masks and afraid of everybody. And 
And uh, it, I'm sure the experience will be a lot different. Um, and now that it's in St. Louis, I'm not sure what facility it's in, but um, that's just a little more keen to my to my interest just because it's close to my daughter. So it'll be now, a family reunion. Yeah. yeah. Now, Skip, that is a question. You know, there's a lot changing. You know, you mentioned changes uh, in the in the hunting industry as a whole, but um, definitely at the ATA level, there's been a lot of changes. Um, you know, what have you seen change over the ATA, and what are you looking forward to this year uh, with the ATA show? Hmm. Well, being in St. Louis will be new. I mean, we're so used to going to like Indy and and Louisville. You know, it seemed like it toggled back and forth there a lot of years between Louisville and, and Indy, and those were you kind of got used to those cities. Um, so just the the venue will be the venue will be new. Um, I don't know. I, I'm going to go with an open mind, like probably you, Dylan, and just and keep my eyes wide open just to see what what changed. It seems like it's it's not as big as it used to be. Some of the the bigger players kind of moved out of it. Um, I, I don't know. I guess I, I'm kind of anxious to see, it seemed like the, the dealers weren't as, as heavy in the past years as they have been, but, um, yeah, and I guess I'm, I know that the ATA is really pushing to get more dealers. I think that they, they book or something, they can get the one night free lodging or something. If they, if they plan for two days or, or something, the ATA will pick up like one day. So they're, they're really pushing the the dealers to, to get there. Um, yeah. I, I don't know. I guess I'm, I'm just probably like you a little bit, just wondering what, what it's going to be like, but I mean, I think it's worth, you know, going. Yeah, absolutely. So with, and, and, you know, again, we're not here to, we're not here to badmouth anybody else, but you just said it yourself, big players are dropping out. Does that, does that encourage you more like, okay, well now I can get more eyes on, on me because those bigger players aren't soaking up the, the energy, if you will. Right. Right. There, there was one dealer, well, Tim was talking about that year they had the COVID and it was a smaller, I had one dealer friend of mine that went there and he was, we didn't go that year. And he was telling me how there, there wasn't that many people there, but he said that the, the sales were actually higher because the, the dealers that were there were wanting to reward the manufacturers that were there. So they were actually buying more from the, you know, from the, the smaller companies just because the other ones weren't there. They, it, so yeah. he, he said that it looked like that there was actually more business being done um, than when it was bigger. Well, that's good. I thought the, I thought the one-on-one time with, with uh, representatives of anyone in their booths was greater and there wasn't overcrowding and intimidation or anything like that. I think people wanted to talk to someone. Um, yeah, I, I definitely, having never been there, felt like the the attendance was low. But it's neat to see that that some feedback that the, the sales were decent. Right. I mean, I mean, with the attendance being low, sometimes that's nice because it allows you more time to talk to people, you know, sure. instead of just someone walking by and just shaking hands and, and talking. I mean, it, it all allows you to actually, you know, stand there, sit down or whatnot and actually have a good conversation, you know, a 15 minute conversation rather than just, you know, hello, goodbye, you know. Right. Well, that's what I was going to say. And, and obviously we want we want attendance. We want people to show up. But. It is really nice. I mean, to get to sit down and boost, you know, especially with our partners, you know, like I got to come by with you last year and, and talk for 15 minutes, shoot all the bows. And, sure. and uh, that was nice, you know, whereas when there's 20,000 people running around, it's hard to do that. And right. that's why, 
like, yes, I would love to see ATA just boom again, like it used to be. It used to be the bow hunting party of the year, but to an extent, it is really nice to get to sit down, have a cup of coffee with somebody, talk with somebody, and and spend that real intimate. Because I'm a networker, that's what I like to do. Right. I like to sit and talk and and shake hands and and uh, you know, with the lesser crowd, you get to do that. Agree. And also, too, there's you can actually when you're at the shooting lane and stuff, you actually have time to to talk to the people that are shooting the bow and maybe you know let the conversation go a little bit deeper rather than try to get them through the shooting lanes because there's a line of two or three people standing back there that also want to shoot the bow. So it, it, it allows yeah. you to, to, you know, spend some real quality time, you know, finding out, you know, what kind of business they have, what, what kind of shop they have and things like that. So, I mean, it, it I don't know. I, like I said, I'm just kind of anxious, open-minded and open to, open to have a really good show at the ATA. Yeah, absolutely. Have you so, ever considered or donated to nonprofit organizations and attended events like our Bow Hunter Bash? And is that an interest of a small company like your, that, that you own? Um, obviously, coming to Texas this weekend and, and participating, that's a long haul. But we do have an event tentatively scheduled up in, in your neck of the woods, three hours away, coming next year. Um, how, how valuable are one-day small events to a small company like you? You know, the whole interaction, getting more time with people, smaller, more intimate groups. I feel like maybe some of the bigger companies, um, you know, they've got a budget. They've got marketing guys are like, I, I need an attendance here or higher, or it doesn't pencil out. Are you, are you to that level or are you still more um, hands-on, small feel individuals? I, I like to go to events to have people shoot our bow. Um that's kind of where we put our marketing was going to the events. Um, you know, you can you can spend a lot of money on a full page ad in a publication, but it doesn't tell the person looking at that ad how the bow shoots. They they have to physically I mean, they need to shoot it. So, you know, I, the last three four years, I I go to probably 15, 15 shows a year. I, I, two years ago, I had one hundred and twenty days in a row where you you'd go to a a show on a you know. A, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and then you're back at work, you know, just, it was, it was nonstop. You, you leave on a Thursday, right. the show is Friday, Saturday, Sunday, you're back to work on Monday, you're leaving again on Thursday and you're just going from show to show to show. But, you know, just being there and meeting the, the end customer or the potential customer and having shoot your product and just, you know, let them know that, you know, this is what we got going on and, and trying to get more dealers. And that, that's probably been our biggest struggle is just getting the, getting the dealer network like you need for a, a company. That's why we sell, we do sell direct, but I mean, it would be nice to have more dealers, but you know, you get pushback from dealers because they, they have their, they have their main brands, you know, they have their, their Matthews Hoyt PSE elite. And then it's just like, well, here comes another one. And, you know, it's just, you know, there's only so much they can put on their, their wall. So and we try to, we try to nurture more dealers, but yet you can't step away from a, a sale if someone wants to buy directly from you too. So I see so that you get uh, your point. I mean, I'd I'd go to a one day show. I I have no problem with that. Dylan and I even talked about making a a custom Pope and Young bow because what we've done that for for things where I made a Green Bay Packer bow where it was all Cerakoted green and gold. It had the stickers and, and all you know. So I, I like to do these theme bows, and then I'm right in the middle now of uh, a theme bow. 
where the all the proceeds are going to go to the honor flight for uh, for veterans. And uh, we're going to partner with HHA on that too, where it, it'll be a, I'm not sure we'll have to talk with the HHA people to see how they want to do it. I'm just creating the bow. Um, but I'll probably have that the ATA show for people to look and, and, and feel on that, but it, it'll be a 20 inch bow. It's all been Cerakoted. Uh, it's got every branch of the military on it. It's going to have a 1911 grip with some military side plates and, and stuff like that. So it's going to be a little bit over the top, but it, you know, you know it's, We'll get some strings on it to kind of match the the theme, and and hopefully we can raise some good money with that for the for the veterans. Hey, Dill, and I know one guy that would love to see that bow at convention. Gil yeah. Hernandez would just melt. Yeah, yeah. Well, maybe Gil we'll make that. maybe we'll make another one. You know, I mean, or maybe we'll talk to HHA. HHA kind of changed it a little bit too this year. They're doing some some Sarah coating on their on their housings and that to look really really off the top. Cool. So I'm thinking maybe if I can get get them to kind of do a little bit special site to put on that bow, it would you know really throw it over the top. I see that so you get some is, exposure in the. Uh, sorry, Dylan. Um, no, go ahead. In in the shooting, you know, the actual shooting aspect, not just the hunting world, but the shooting um, side of of archery. Um, some guys have in the last few years have have represented Gearhead and done well. Is that is that uh, growing, or is or is that uh, was that a someone a local person that you knew, or or how, how does a person reach out to Gearhead and say, hey, I want to shoot competitively and use your product? They, they should send me an email at skip at gearheadarchery.com. Um, but the, the to answer that question, so Paul that one year went to the went to the Vegas shoot. You know, he likes Vegas and it, it, Vegas and archery. It all kind of goes together. And he went there and competed with, I think he competed with our 18-inch bow. He was on the line with everyone shooting these 36, 40-inch bows. And he's out there for a little 18-inch bow. Well, he came back to tell us that we needed to make, uh, you know, a little bit longer ATAs. And then he, he wanted to win the, the bow hunter class. Because we always have put money up, contingency money, on the bow hunting uh, class. Because that's, you know, we want to reach out to the, you know, the, the blue-collar archer that that's just bow hunting and we wanted to be in that class so he wanted to win it so he ended up putting like a thirty thousand dollar contingency on whoever could win the the bow hunter class at vegas with with a gearhead bow and oh, wow. um the first year we got close and then the second year um eric griggs ended up winning the the bow hunter class at vegas with a with a gearhead and then the next year we actually swept the podium in the bow hunter class with um oh uh, with um Josh Schoff and Mark Wagner and John Wheeler and they, they end up sweeping it. And then the next year we won it again with uh with another different person. And so we, we won Vegas bow hunter class three years in a row with, with three different archers. And that's kind of opened some eyes. It yeah, I thought it would open yeah more, but I mean it was it was good. I mean we we had like that one year we had like six out of the top ten archers in the bow hunter class was was shooting gearhead. So I mean it it really it really made a big splash. But um, we I just been pushing the the trade shows and that and just trying to get bows in everyone's hand to shoot. So I mean we we didn't go to the Vegas last year, but the the year before was our our last year there. But um, and we're not planning to go this year, but. Um, 
I just, I mean, we make a bow hunter's bow. I just want to be, you know, keep pushing on the, on the bow hunter side of things. Awesome. So what would you say for the person who's never shot, maybe even seen a gearhead bow, what's the technology that really sets you apart? Like, what would you say? And obviously if you look at a bow, you're like, Oh, that's different than anything I've ever shot before. But what kind of technology goes into it to really set that bow apart from everything else? I, I would say it's our riser. Um, having the two side plates and connecting it, it creates a bridge style riser. And much like, you know, you you look at any bridge crossing a river that it looks, it looks pretty similar. Um, this, the, it makes the ridge that makes the riser really rigid. The stiffer the riser, the more energy that goes into the arrow. So it just, it, it creates a structure that is just way stiffer and then the ability to go right-handed or left-handed and then all the different holes for accessories and, and things like that. It just, it just really, that sets the foundation of, of the whole bow is, is the riser. And then from there you go up into the, the limbs and the cams and on the, on our adjustable cam, you, you got the use of a, a string stop or a cable stop. You got, you basically got both. You can use whatever you, you want and then you can change your draw length and half inch increments without the use of a bow press. And, but, you know, a lot of your companies have that same, the same technology on that. You know, but the, the thing that sets us apart is our riser. It's just, it's just the construction of it. And then we, for material, we use a 7075, 7075 grade aluminum, which is a, then we send it out for hard coat anodizing and it just, it just makes that material a lot more rigid and more stiff. So you said it yourself too, um, that switching, switching to a bow. So outside of somebody's, you know, norm, what they're used to can be intimidating. Mm -hmm. So what do you say to that guy who looks at it and they're like, man, I would love to try a 24 inch axle to axle bow, but I uh, just, I don't know. What, what, what do you say to that person? Just shoot it. I mean, just, I mean, I, I had one, uh, one message this morning where he, five years ago, he bought a 20 inch T20 and he shot it for a couple of years. And then he's kind of bounced around a little bit. He's, he shot Hoyt, PSE, Matthews. And then he, I got a message this morning. He goes, he goes, he goes, you ruined me. He said, I, I need to switch back to a gearhead. He said, I, I want a 20 inch. So he basically placed an order this morning for a, a disruptor 20, just because he misses the way that it feels and the way that the whole, the, the size and that is. So, I mean, there's, here's someone that originally bought into it and then he got bounced around a little bit and then now he's back, you know? So, um, just shoot it. I mean, that's, that's kind of where you kind of have to have an open mind a little bit just because it does look a little different. If, if you're the type of person that doesn't want attention, you probably shouldn't get a gearhead because you are going to get a lot of attention. If you go to shoots or whatever, they're going to be, what is that? You know, so you, you get a lot of questions and a lot of, you know, people, you know, inquiring, but it, it's gotten easier. I mean, it's, we're in year nine now. So, you know, the, you're seeing more and more of them out there and people have shot them in that. So it, it's not, it's not as weird as it used to be. I mean, it, it used to be always having to justify what this is and what that is. And now people, people have educated themselves where they know, or they've, they've met someone that, that actually does shoot it and, and things. So it's, it's definitely getting easier. That's cool. No, I, uh, I, it's, it's been, it's exciting. Cause I remember, uh, the first time that I saw a gearhead, I was like, what in the world is that thing? And, uh, and then of course, getting to know you and, and getting to hear, you know, getting to really hear about the company, it's been exciting. And so I'm, I'm excited to see the future of gearhead too. Well, I don't, 
I don't want to be like anyone else. I mean, if someone like I had a, a TV um, show personality to say, Skip, why don't you just make a normal rise? It's like I, if our bows look like other people's bows, I wouldn't even want to do this. I mean, you have to, you know, you need to go to market with something that is is different. You just can't be basing what you're selling just you know, a me too product, you know, I, I want to have something that is, is different than anyone else's. And that's kind of a little bit of the design structure and stuff that goes in. It's like, if someone's going a certain direction, well, let's go this way, you know, let's think, let's rethink this a little bit different. So that's, you know, that's kind of the direction that I think we'll always choose is, is not to, to follow, but to just be, just to be different. Yeah, no, that's, and I've kind of always been the same way too. You know, I, You've yeah. always been different, Dylan. You've always been different, right? Hey, you know, hey, don't get Tim started on me. But uh, no, I, uh, I've i always been the same. I'm like, you know, I don't want to shoot the mainstream when everybody else shoots. I want to be, I want my stuff to look different and feel different. I've, I just put strings on my bow um, last week and they're uh, flow green. Finally, you put strings on your bow? That'll make your shooting a lot better. Yeah, <laughs> I don't have to throw the arrow anymore. Uh, they're flow green, uh, flow pink with a electric blue pinstripe. And people are like, what is that? And I'm like, that's what it yep. is. Like, I want you to be like, why does, you know, I want you to be, I want it to look different. I don't shoot, I don't shoot a mainstream arrow. I don't shoot mainstream release. I want to shoot stuff that, you know, is out of the norm just to be a little different. Well, that's, that's the one thing I've learned about archery. It's just, there's not a one size fits all. I mean, everyone wants to, everyone wants something thing a little different it's just you know uh, archery more than probably anything and it's kind of the common bond that we all have is is in this industry too it's like you know like i said before there's awful lot of good bows out there it all just comes down to the marketing and choice but yeah you know know, i actually used to what fits you you know or what or what you or what fits your style i actually used to shoot uh, a particular bow because nobody knew who they were Sure. Um, they were new to the scene and they shot phenomenal. Um, and then everybody started shooting them. They became like, you know, they became the norm. And so I, I stopped shooting it. Everybody's like, what you've shot that forever. And I'm like, yeah, but now everybody shoots it. I don't want to shoot it no more. Like I, <laughs> I want to find something that you no, know, not everybody shoots. And, uh, I'll be on, it was an elite and it was sure. uh, in that E32, E35 year, the synergy, um, you know, before they got real big, but, you know, you shot the bow and it's like, this is a phenomenal bow and nobody else knows what it is. Nobody else shoots it. So that's what I want. Right. And then they got big and I'm like, ah, I'd rather not, you know, I want to shoot something that people don't shoot. What do you, what do you shoot now, Dylan? Uh, I shoot bear. I okay. shoot uh, bear, bear bows. Yep. How about you, Tim? We lost Tim. I know. I, uh, sneezing a little bit today. I am a, I don't know how to explain it. I don't like to fix things that aren't broken. I will run boots into the ground. I will drive my truck till the wheels fall off. Um, I have a 2009 Bowtech that I still shoot. And yes, I've missed a couple out the last two years. I think that's on me. Um, but it, it feels good. And when I go to shows and I shoot bows, I know that it's not perfectly dialed and set up for me. And so you can't just go and grab a new pair of boots out of a box and put them on. They're going to feel magical or, or the pack's going to be set perfectly. Um, 
I'm fascinated right now with different releases, but I keep going back to one that I'm not afraid of or that that I'm comfortable with. But I keep saying this for the last two or three years. It's a it's a new bow year for me. I've got so many friends. The whole bow hunting industry to me is like this, where they go buy a new bow every year. And I started out as a rifle and muzzleloader hunter. I I keep all of those. Um, right. I I still have just one bow. I've sold the other ones off as as I've changed them out. But my bow's pretty old. I'm not against new. I'm just afraid that the time. Maybe it is fear. I'm afraid that when I finally make a decision, it's going to be three weeks before the archery season starts, and I'm just going to panic and and go back to what I'm comfortable with. And so when I finally jump in and quit breaking legs and coming up with with bills, um, I'm going to get a new bow, and I want to do it early, you know, in the winter, so I can practice all through the spring. And uh, I guess that's part of it as well that I. I've got to get my hands on a lot of different bows and yeah, there are shops around, but like you said, they sell one or two products, one or two name brands. And I've got to go to ATAs. I've got to go to various shows where I can get in front of a variety of models and feel the strengths and weaknesses and the likeness to me. Like one of the things that you said that I'm very curious about to see how it would work with me is the fact that your shorter limb bows that that peep's going to be farther away from my eye. I had to go to um, uh, a peep site that uh, has a, a, a verifier in it because mm-hmm. my pins were just blurry as all get out, but I could see yeah. the target great. Now at 40 plus yards, the target can start to blur, but my pins are great. Um, with that peep further away, would that eliminate that problem or make it worse? I don't know. That's that's one thing too that's really changed as we've gotten older is you you touched on it, Tim. Like when I bought a bow, that was my bow. I would shoot it for five, six years, and then it would go back in a box, it'd go under the bed or in a closet, and that that was my bow. Nowadays it seems people aren't connected to their bows. They'll they'll buy a bow and shoot it for a season and then sell it on eBay or marketplace or wherever they can sell it. And they just, they just go from one year to another, just kind of moving both some, some three or four months in there. You oh, know, like yeah. it just it doesn't make sense to me when, when I bought something that that was my bow. That was, I've never sold a gun. I have a, I have a whole, a whole cabinet full <laughs> of, you know, it's like, well, that, I right. don't shoot anymore, but that's my gun. <laughs> you know, I've got, yeah, I've gotten rid of a few things that, I just don't like they didn't they weren't my thing or whatever. But I will say in the traditional archery world, I do have a lot of friends that they don't get rid of their their old traditional bows very often. Um, I've got one of my grandfather's back there and and one that a friend mm-hmm. gave me. I think Dylan hangs on to the ones that he's had. I could be wrong. But boy, I've got some guys that turn over, you know, new modern compound bows like like they're candy yeah. and great for the industry. And and great for them. Um, but to me, and maybe I'm just weird, <laughs> you build a little bit of a relationship with it. You want to have mm-hmm. some success with it. You want to get it tuned just perfect. And, of course, by the time everything's great, I've killed a couple animals with it, it's time for a new string, and then you've got more adjustments. And I'm not, unintended, the gearhead guy that, does strings and does all the tweaking sure. himself. I don't have a, you know, I don't have a, 
uh, a bow press or anything. I go to guys, I'm sort of a jack of all trades. I go to guys that know the stuff and then I, I rely on them for expertise in the bow world, the, from ch- helping with peeps and rests and arrows and broadheads and, and stuff. I mean, I'm always learning, but um, I'm about ready to go to a new setup of arrow and broadhead. And it's a little nerve wracking, but I think I got to do it all at the same time. And I would be excited. I, I'm sitting there thinking of a shorter bow. I'm not a tree stand guy, but I definitely see out here in the West where height could be a, a, a shorter height could be a benefit. And if it, and if you can't get all those poundages and, and ballistics or, or, you know, um, you, you know, your front of center and all your kinetic energies and everything is, is still up with what other bows are doing. And if the only thing I've got to, that I'm thinking and I hear from you is that I've got to adjust is maybe my eye. Dude, I, yeah, I want to try that out. I want to try new stuff, but I've been, I've been kind of slow in the waters and I stick to one thing that, that works. And yeah, yeah I'm, I'm a hundred percent in in every I, way. I'm the opposite. Like I've shot three deer this year and all three were with a different bow. Like I just, cool. you know, like I sh- two two with different compounds, one with a recurve. Um, wow! And like I, I just like to switch up, and and you know, my garage has been built into a bow shop, so I've got a bow press, a draw board, and I'll change, I'll change broadheads every other hunt. Like I'll change arrow setups every other hunt, and, and I just I like tinkering with stuff. Um, I, I like just putting different vein configurations on and shooting them with different broadheads and seeing how they fly and. And oh, that one flies great. Let's go shoot something with it tonight. Like I just, but however, I've been on this kick and, you know, from, from my other, from my podcast, from my podcast, I've really been talking a lot lately about learning your equipment. Just like you're saying, Tim, there's no substitute for having a bow and learning that bow. And some of the most successful hunters I know, you know, shoot a bow that's seven years old and they're like, yeah, but I know everything there is to know about that bow. I know what it likes, what it doesn't like. I know what kind of arrows it likes, what kind of arrows it doesn't like. I know what kind of grip it likes. Like, there's just no substitute for for buying a piece of equipment and learning that piece of equipment in and out. So, you know, I've kind of been on that that recent, and I mean recent is in a, a few weeks kick um, of just buy a bow and learn everything there is to learn about that bow and, and know that bow. I'm I'm with Tim. I've, I've been shooting Thunderheads for 30 years and, uh, and my bow set up five, six years old. I haven't changed anything on it. I just, I, it shoots fine. I know where it's shooting. I just, I just take it hunting, <laughs> you know, just, <laughs> you know, it's just, it's that familiarity that you have with it. It's just, you know, there was one. so many new broadheads every year. And it's just like, what are you shooting? I Thunderhead 125. Yeah. <laughs> There was only one time where I, I thought, man, I'm I'm a little nervous. And it did. It bit me in the butt. But I was going down to Missouri to hunt with some of the guys from Bear. And they were bringing me my new bow. And so I, I sighted it in in the headlights of a pickup truck. So I shot like 14 arrows through it and then went hunting the next morning with it. Now, I was a little nervous then, but everything also changed. Like, I hadn't shot a single pin in forever like nine years and they brought a single pin on the, on the bow. And I'm like, Oh, I don't, I don't, that's going to be what bites me in the butt. And sure enough, 
I uh, I had it set wrong and shot and didn't even think about, oh, yeah, you got to change it every time you shoot. Like, and shot right over a buck. And I'm like, you stupid idiots. Give me back, give me back my other sight. Um, so it, it has bit me in the butt before, but I, I just like to try new things. I like to experiment. I like to tinker. I like to go out and, you know, what happens if I decrease the poundage, you know, four pounds? What happens if I change the let off? What happens if I run this other arrow through this bow, you know, try things out and just do different new stuff. I, it's what I love to do. Well, you should keep doing it then. That, uh, Absolutely. Now, I have a lot right of friends though. like Dylan. I have a lot Tim of friends like Dylan. That's where I yep. take my bow and go, something's wrong. Here's what Do I'm they doing. They, wa they watch me. They adjust this and that. And I go, why and what? Okay. And then the next day, that's I'm just shooting. <laughs> now, Tim is absolutely right, though. I don't sell. I, I sold my first ever recurve at, because I got a new one. And then I was like, why did I sell that? I, that was a, such a pretty bow. And so now I'll never sell a recurve. They, right. You know, my, my wife's like, you have 19 recurves. I'm like, yeah, and I want to get to 100. Like, I just never... Because it, you know, each one of those is a piece of art. Each one of those sure. is a work of art. I don't like to sell yeah. recurves. Uh, I'll shoot different ones, hunt with different ones, but I'm never going to get rid of another recurve again. They're just, they're all special. They're all unique, and I love them all. I know this one guy that's got six gearheads. He's got, he's got his turkey gearhead. He's got his elk gearhead. He's got his white tail. It's just they're all set up a little bit, and he's got more gearheads than, than I just, I just have. Uh, I just have the 24 and he's, and I can shoot whatever. And he's just, I, it, it's awesome. But it's just like, I don't, I don't get it, but. Don't you wish all your customers were like that, huh? Exactly. <laughs> Another thing now, you touched on too was, uh, I don't think you have to come out with a new bow every year. You know, I mean, if I create a bow that I say is the, the best bow and, and what I think, everything should be in a bowl. It's like, unless you come up with something that makes that bowl significantly better, there's really no reason to come out with another bowl, which, you know, may, and I mean, not, might not be good for sales, but it's just, that's kind of my attitude on that. Unless you got something that makes your product better, there's no sense of bringing out another product just to sell more. If that Doing additions. Yeah, doing additions or themes, yeah. you know, to appease the the market guy that likes to buy a new one every year. I like the idea that you're building that one for veterans that's going to just look. Nobody's going to have that bow. That's just right. that's going to be a one of a kind. It's going to be wild. That, that's really cool. Um, I've often wondered, you know, I mean, unless it's, unless it's significantly different. I mean, yeah, solo cam, dual cam, you know, definitely technology advancements. Sure. Right. But. But uh, if you go back to 1980 to and look at 1980 to 1990, there, there was probably some big leaps from mm -hmm. 2010 to, to now. There's probably some big leaps in there. But if you were to take one manufacturer's yearly bow, there's probably, like Chevy and Dodge and Ford, there's probably similarities for three, four, five years. And the only th kind of thing that changes maybe the paint or the uh, uh, a style, you know, maybe right. a little. Yeah, I don't know. I unless you're jumping us to 500 feet per second. I mean, I'm being exaggerated, I'm exaggerated right, here, right. but some big, significant change. Weight that would that had to have been a huge one, and and 
and speed and power and and all these different things. Um, there they've got to be things that you play with all the time. Uh, for me, I'm waiting for either my bow to break for me to to finally give in and 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 do it, or for something in the industry at the bow level to be so significant that I can't ignore it. And uh, and otherwise, I like I like I like status quo. I like not to fix anything that breaks. And I'm I'm sure I'm different than everybody else. But <laughs> no, that is a pet peeve of mine. When bow companies have to come out with a new bow every year and you get the you get the XYZ3 and then the XYZ4 and then the XYZ5 and then the XYZ6 and nothing about the bow is changing except a brace height or an ATA it's like why like right you just you just yeah. had to come out with a new bow like you there's no mm -hmm. new technology there's nothing different about the bow it doesn't perform any different like why so I'm on, I'm on the same page with you there, and I wish more companies, you know, to me, it's almost like, okay, well, what if you were to spend two years really coming up with new technology and drop that bow? Like, skip right. a year of coming out with a, you know, XYZ7 that's just a, a different brace height and spend two years on new technology. Man, what, what would that do for the industry? What would that do for your design? I, I thought they would skip a year the year we had COVID because it was such a, a weird time where, you know, you couldn't, you know, get out or, or people couldn't get together for it. Like you look at your engineering team, they couldn't get together yeah. to design. I thought, I thought maybe they, the industry would skip a year and just kind of keep the same, the same models for two years, but that, that really didn't happen. But I, I was expecting that to happen, but it, it didn't. Right. So skip one question. We ask everybody that comes on the show. What's All one, right. what's one non-traditional hunting item that you always have with you in the field? You know, it can't be a, a, a knife or binoculars, but what's something non-traditional that you don't leave home without when you're in the woods? <laughs> uh, cameras don't... Well, I always got cameras with me. They don't count. That's traditional. Everyone's carrying a camera these days. Now, my lucky penny. How about a lucky penny? Will that work? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Everyone needs a good luck charm. In my in my knapsack, I have. I was on a. I was on a hunt in Arizona. I was the cameraman for Arnie Crum, and I think Tim, you probably recognize Arnie's <laughs> name. He's been yes, with the. I know the Arnie. I owe you a lot of communication. Sorry, Arnie. I will get to you. <laughs> yeah. So um, we were hunting elk down in Arizona. I came across this uh, this horseshoe. And I put it in my my pack. It's never really left my my pack since then. I think the next day Arnie killed a three thirty class bull. So we we it's just a, a lucky horseshoe that just kind of doesn't leave my my pack now. But that's I, interesting. You know, got, it, got it in Arizona. So I also yeah. came back with an old license plate from like the twenties too. Where it's amazing the things when you're you're out hunting you little things you pick up and you keep and it's just it's like wow that's kind of cool and you just kind of have it in your man cave or your den or something like that and you know i've got a shelf full of things that i've picked up from from rocks and agates and old cans yeah. and and knife pieces of knives or equipment or something and what i like to do when i'm with dylan because i like to pick up rocks that are unique to an area and i kind of mm -hmm. got a jar full of rocks and i don't remember where that rock came from but sure. but i remember that i picked it up and when I hunt with Dylan, I like to pick up the really big ones and put them in his pack. And <laughs> at the end of the trip, especially I'll petrified wood, it's hard to walk past a little piece of petrified wood, isn't it? Yeah, 
It is. Dylan doesn't look at the ground at rocks. I think he's just always looking at games. So maybe I need to do that. <laughs> one one time in I used to I used to guide hunters out west too for a for an outfitter in, in Montana. And uh one time we were on antelope hunt and I was kind of leading the way down an old path. And this isn't a sage flat. There's not a tree for a long, long ways. And I found a it's just it was an, a rock that and Tim, you've probably been there. It's just a rock that looks out of place. And you just you pick yeah. it up and start looking at looking it over. Well, the more I looked at it, it was uh it was from a nut tree. It was like it was like a cross between a walnut and a hickory nut. It had the the whole like the case on everything, and it was petrified and it was a rock. And I I keep that one on my nightstand. But it's just like it's just like how old is this? You know, where did it come from? What kind of tree was that? There's all those thoughts that kind of run through your mind, or even on a a hunt in uh, in Colorado where I came across this washout. And in the washout, again, it was uh, an area that was all uh, sagebrush for as far as you could see. And it was a, a petrified log and it's just like, how old is this? You know, and it's just, you, you had, those are the things of hunting that I really love is just the, the discovery of things that aren't even game related. It's just, you're, you're out on the path and you're out in the element and you just find things that are just like, you know, they just make you wonder. I keep, this is weird. I shouldn't even mention this. Yeah. Anyway, I keep track of how many Mylar balloons I find. Really? Most years it's well over a dozen, and I don't know why. But I find them in the weirdest place. Like, how did it get to the ground in this canopy of trees? Sure. And it's sure it's happy birthday, hearts, SpongeBob, whatever. But I keep track of that. But the funniest thing, well, the most interesting thing I ever found was the blade of I'm gonna say a 14-inch. I'm not going to call it a kitchen knife. It's a, it's definitely a butchery knife, but it's not one you would pack hunting. But it's I, the best I could trace it back was to the fifties, and it says, says Winchester on it. And I was antelope hunting, and something was shining on a mound like three quarters of a mile away, and I saw it. But I thought, oh, what is that? And then I was working towards the spot, and I saw it again, and then I saw it again. I'm like, it's probably a glass bottle wonder what it is and i walked over there and it was the metal portion the wood had rotted off and it's in a box somewhere but i spotted that from three quarters of a mile away and i just kept drawing to it it yeah. was kind of well skip man we appreciate you coming on we we greatly appreciate your continued support and relationship with pope and young i personally can't wait to see you know what the future looks like for for gearhead and what you're going to come out with next so Keep innovating, man. Keep being different. And uh, we look forward to a, a future with, with Gearhead and Pope and Young. So thank All you right. for coming on. And uh, guys, thank you everybody for listening. You guys have a fantastic week. All right. Thank you.